Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One. We are one week away from the 2022 NBA Draft, so it's time for another iteration of the mock drafts that we do here at the Box and One. Some intel changing who's going to be picked at where, including a change in our top four, but more importantly, comprehensive coverage going over all 58 selections in the NBA Draft. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button for a lot more NBA Draft coverage coming between now and next Thursday. There's no change atop our board right now. Jabari Smith seems to be the first overall selection, somebody that the Orlando Magic have honed in on. Intel around the league continues to suggest that the Magic would love to have Jabari Smith, and it makes sense. He's an incredibly good three-point shooter at 6'10", knocking down over 40% of his jumpers, really good catch and shoot, solid off one dribble pull-ups, and with decent athleticism, finding guys who can stretch the floor, make tough shots when space doesn't exist, and play defense is really hard to do. I think Smith fits in well with the blueprint that the Orlando Magic already have with a bunch of playmakers and guys like Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, and Franz Wagner, and the frontcourt duo between Jabari and Wendell Carter Jr. also makes a good deal of sense. We have our reservations about Smith as a shot creator. Don't really trust his handle, but understand why there's a little bit of upside for him in ways that there might not be for some other guys in the mix for the top overall pick. can certainly get why Jabari Smith's shooting is so tantalizing and why the Orlando Magic would prioritize him with the first overall pick. timeline Sam Presti has set for the Oklahoma City Thunder and the way they are building their roster, Chet Holmgren seems like a no-brainer if available here with the number overall to selection. Just an unbelievable defender. Really, really long, KG competitive, does a little bit of everything, can be a dominant rim protector, can guard on the perimeter in isolation, slides his feet laterally, is able to use his length to his advantage. A lot of people want to focus on that frame, but with as competitive as he is and how smart with angles and, and just able to do everything, just add a little bit more weight and strength and he's going to be an elite defender at the NBA level. Now we don't want to undersell his offense either. He's an imaginative type of player, really good handle, great in the open floor, but a, a skilled passer, a great finisher. He shot 80% at the rim at Gonzaga last year and about 40% from three. The combination of skills that he brings to the table is incredibly, incredibly rare. We don't necessarily know what the blueprint is for how to use them all collectively, but I think that the Oklahoma City Thunder as an organization have the time and patience to figure that out and are building a super long, lanky roster that fits exactly who Chet Holmgren is. Another no-brainer of a selection here for the Houston Rockets, they get Paolo Bancaro, who we believe is the best player in this year's draft class. A three-level scorer with a 6'10 body, great strength and athleticism, and the ability to cerebrally pick apart defenses. He has all of the makings of being a 25-point-per-game scorer in the NBA. You can run offense through him because he's such a good passer, operates really well in face-up and isolation situations, and knows how to get to his spots and his shots. He's deliberate in isolations, but he does have that high processing speed to make quick decisions with the basketball. A lot has been made for Bancaro about two areas where his game wasn't incredibly polished. First was in his three-point shooting range. We believe in his touch, and 
believe that the fact that he shot 34% from three means that this is a little bit overrated of a concern. Second is the defense, and Bancaro could join a long list of guys who are talented athletically but didn't necessarily put up great defensive metrics when they were in college. I think that Bancaro's versatility on the offensive end, combined with his size and strength, make him a can't-miss type of prospect and somebody that the Houston Rockets would be really fortunate to get at number three. Here's where we start to get a little bit of change in our mock. Keegan Murray from Iowa going fourth overall to the Sacramento Kings. And when you start to understand the context of how Sacramento is attacking this draft, the Murray selection makes a lot more sense. They desperately want to make the playoffs next year, ending their 15-plus year drought from making the postseason. Owner Vivek Ranadive is single-minded in his focus of getting somebody that can contribute right away to help the Kings end that drought. He also has a history of tinkering with draft selections and overriding a lot of his front office staff, which would mean that if he is enamored with Murray, and the intel that we have there is true, then Murray is going to be the obvious selection for the Kings at fourth overall. Now let's talk about Murray's game a little bit. Pretty polished as an offensive player in a do-it-all type of way. Not necessarily a number one option, but very long, very physical, has the ability to shoot the ball from three, and is a little bit of an underrated playmaker. He should be able to come in right away and play valuable minutes on a team, playing the three and the four, and maybe even eventually a little bit of the small ball five. Big fan of Keegan Murray later in the lottery, but the fit in Sacramento does make sense. If Jaden Ivey falls to fifth for the Detroit Pistons, I think this is the dream scenario for Troy Weaver, a long, hyper-athletic guard who has a lot of reminiscent pieces to Russell Westbrook and Ja Morant. Ivey is elite in transition, and the fire and ice type of combo that he would provide in the backcourt with Cade Cunningham, while having length and size, while having different types of defensive aptitudes, really would make the Pistons incredibly, incredibly fascinating to watch over the next few years. Ivy is, again, best in transition, but has developed a lot over the last year or so in the half court. Yes, he has the blitzing ability to drive right around guys and get to the rim at will, but he's started to figure out a little bit more how to play at two speeds. He's very, very comfortable at creating out of the pick and roll in ways that I think are a little bit underrated right now and the improvements to his spot-up game make him able to play next to a guy like Cade Cunningham over the long term. This is a home-run pick for the Detroit Pistons if Jaden Ivey is still available, and I would expect them to cling on to this pick if he falls to them as quickly as they can. A fascinating guy to watch on draft night will be Shaden Sharp. We think that he's going to go here at 6 to the Indiana Pacers if the top 5 shakes out the way it does because the Pacers have a very patient timeline. They lack one thing and that's an elite go-to scorer. Nobody else in this class has higher upside to be that guy than Shaden Sharp. And the way that Sharp is discussed right now is as a very raw athletic prospect. 6 foot 5 with about a 6'11 wingspan, jump out of the gym athleticism and the ability to create his own shot. But with Sharp, he did not play this year. He's a late riser through the high school ranks and has upside to next year be a top three pick. So coming out this year means that the Pacers have the opportunity to put one extra year of development into a guy that would in any other type of year with another season of seasoning under his belt become a top three or four pick. 
the Pacers have and need patience with this draft. It's one thing that they're lacking is a scoring wing over the long term. We'd go with Shaden Sharp here at six without hesitation if we are Indiana. A potential riser right now on many draft boards is Benedict Matherin. He has been killing it in workouts and could get as high as number four to the Sacramento Kings. But there are a lot of reasons to believe that Matherin would be the perfect fit in Portland if he's still on the board. First and foremost, this is a team trying to make the playoffs next season. They need instant impact and somebody that can come in and at the very least drill shots around a Damian Lillard pick and roll. That's Matherin to a T. We think his ideal NBA role is as a secondary or tertiary scorer who's able to come off screens, hit movement shots, and be a solid defender. But more than anything, there are a ton of connections between Arizona and Matherin and this Blazers front office. We would love to see Matherin come into Portland and help the Blazers back to the postseason next year. get the sense that the New Orleans Pelicans would love to have either Benedict Matherin or Shaden Sharp, but if Jeremy Sohan is still available and on the board at number 8, he makes a lot of sense for this team. Can you imagine a closing lineup that has CJ McCollum and then four incredibly long guys in Brandon Ingram, Jeremy Sohan, Herb Jones, and Zion Williamson? What a positionless type of group that would end up being. Sohan has the ability to guard every spot on the basketball floor. Best guarding threes and fours, but with his good basketball IQ and developing offensive arsenal, we think that he would be a home run pick here in New Orleans. Factor into the equation, Fred Vinson, the Pelicans shooting coach, who's great at getting guys to develop consistency on that end of the floor, and Sohan would really thrive within the Pelicans scheme. This may be a little bit redundant for some other selections, and Pelicans fans may want another shooter here, but we would love to see Sohan in closing lineups eventually with the New Orleans Pelicans. The Spurs are on the clock at 9. They have four selections in the top 38, including three in the first round. They're going to have to be patient with some of these draft selections if they keep them all. And to me, Jalen Duran is one guy whose patience is going to be rewarded with him because he has all of the tools to be an elite rim-protecting center who has a little bit of switchability on the perimeter and just overall freak athleticism. He's the youngest guy in this draft class, won't turn 19 until November, reclassed to come up to Memphis, and actually had a solid finish to the season. He's a rebounding machine when engaged, very, very good athlete, and is going to pop in an NBA system where he plays with a good pick-and-roll guard. The San Antonio Spurs absolutely need offensive impact, but I think Duran's defensive ability and how he's going to get the most out of any type of point guard that he's played with is necessary in order to, to continue to build out this roster in San Antonio. So would be a big fan of Duran being a fit here with the San Antonio Spurs at the ninth overall pick. years 
the Washington Wizards have been searching for the backcourt partner that is ideal to play with Bradley Beal. If Dyson Daniels, who's still rumored to go in the top five potentially, finds his way down to 10th overall, I think the Wizards would be getting an absolute steal in terms of fit next to Bradley Beal. Daniels is best with the ball in his hands. He's a really good creator off the bounce for others and also is a solid catch-and-shoot guy. Getting better as the season went on, finished the year on a high note on that regard, and has reportedly killed it in workouts, showing a lot of faith in his jumper. Defensively, he brings a lot to the table. Six foot seven or six eight, he can guard multiple positions, is really, really good at the point of attack. I think what is going to be the, the major source of upside for Daniels is how he creates for himself out of the pick and roll. If he's able to consistently get to the basket and use that great floater, which is an elite part of his game, to his advantage, then he's going to be a decent enough scorer to command respect with the ball in his hands. That opens up the rest of his game, and I think that the timeline of, of having an immediate impact type of guy to come in at 10th overall fits really well with the urgency the Wizards need to get the most out of Bradley Beal. The New York Knicks value two things under Tom Thibodeau. Toughness on the defensive end and confidence on the offensive end. Johnny Davis may be a little bit mid-range heavy and not the smoothest athlete out there, but he definitely competes his ass off on every single possession and single-handedly carry the Wisconsin Badgers to the NCAA tournament. I don't think his NBA role is going to be that of a primary creator though. I think he's going to be much more of a secondary guy who can get in the lane and, and score a little bit but does a lot of his damage from catch-and-shoot standpoints, off-dribble handoffs, and being a very, very solid on-ball defender. He can chase smaller guys around off screens. His overall IQ, competitiveness, and desire to defend at that end should earn the respect of a guy like Tom Thibodeau from day one. Two bigger, longer guards like Davis and RJ Barrett can play in the backcourt together, or they can play the two and the three while Emmanuel quickly runs the point for the Knicks. Length and defense, length and defense, length and defense. This is the battle cry right now for Sam Presti. And if Usman Jang fits that bill and is on the board at 12, you can understand why Presti would want to take a long look here. The Thunder like to go international and have had a lot of success in doing so over the last few drafts. Usman Jang is a really strange, unorthodox type of prospect. More of a playmaker than he is a scorer. Very good passer and fluid with the ball in his hands at about 6'10". He makes good reads, good decisions, and has the ability to continue to grow on that end as he gets better and more reliable as a scorer with the ball in his hands. He shot 27% from three each of the last two years, but the drastic improvements as a scorer and an isolation creator at the later part of this season give a lot of upside to Jang's prospects. Combine that with the fact that he's a really good cross-matching defender who can guard smaller guys in space, and we can understand the appeal for a guy like Jang to come in and play next to both Josh Giddy, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and the really long roster that the Thunder are constructing. Whenever we talk about the Charlotte Hornets, we have to mention Michael Jordan's propensity to draft more NBA-ready guys, upperclassmen who are proven commodities in college. Right now, they need role-playing impact. They need somebody that can just come in and hit shots around LaMelo Ball. O'Shea Egbaji checks both of these boxes to a T. He's the quintessential 3 and D type of prospect who's coming off of a national championship at Kansas. 
he got better every single year, worked on something in his game, is a high character, high work ethic type of kid, and is a really good athlete in the open floor where he could pop and transition next to LaMelo. Would love to see Egbaji in Charlotte and think this is a great fit for both organization and prospect. Speaking of high character, Malachi Branham is one of the best guys overall in this draft class. Somebody that you genuinely want to root for. And the fact that he shot 40% from three and over the final 15 games of the season averaged 19 a game in the Big Ten as a freshman shows the upside that he has to score the basketball. I think that Branham's game is a little bit too mid-range heavy and, and slow down for, for my kind of style preferences, but there's no doubt about it, he can put the ball in the basket. And when you combine his defensive woes with two really good rim protectors behind him and Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley, and you start to believe that Cleveland might be the best place for Branham to optimize his upside. He's got that isolation scoring ability that the Cavs currently lack late clock and enough size to be able to play the three next to a backcourt of Sexton and Garland if they have to. Really like the hometown fit for Branham, who grew up not too far away in the outskirts of Columbus, and think that the Cleveland Cavaliers are getting a really good long-term prospect to score the basketball. We're back on the clock with the Charlotte Hornets, and look, they have both 13 and 15. I'd find it hard to believe that they keep both selections just based on how their roster is built. But if they do, one of them has to be spent on a rim-protecting big, and Mark Williams out of Duke has been the rumored guy here in Charlotte and quite literally the perfect fit for a very long time. Williams does everything that the Hornets need and that pops well next to their franchise caliber player in LaMelo Ball. He's a fantastic rim protector, super long arms, springy athlete, high motor and intensity, and understands how to rotate on that end of the floor to make up for the mistakes for others. He also led the NCAA in dunks. Great pick and roll finisher who can also play out of the dunker spot. Put him next to LaMelo Ball, and he's cleaning up a lot of the mistakes that get made on the defensive end sprinting the floor in transition, and catching lobs out of the pick and roll. What more could you ask for from a big man for these Charlotte Hornets? Don't be surprised if A.J. Griffin out of Duke has a little bit of a slide on draft night as some teams might get a little bit uncomfortable with his injury history and the changes to his functional athleticism over the last couple years. Griffin was a prolific shooter this year at Duke, played predominantly off ball and just made a ton of three-point attempts. There's also that isolation scoring upside in his arsenal which makes him really, really enticing as a prospect. Now he's super square, has an incredibly long way to go defensively, and like we said, the injury concerns have zapped a little bit of his athleticism that once made him a potential top five pick. The Atlanta Hawks over the last couple years have started to take a few more swing for the fences type of picks. That's what they did last year with Jalen Johnson out of Duke. I think that Griffin comes in and can be that floor spacer that's valuable around Trey Young, where it, even if he's only at his floor as a prospect, there's some utility here in Atlanta, while also having that long-term upside to be exactly what this team misses, another go-to scorer who can create his own in the half court. 
The Houston Rockets have their second of three first-round picks here at 17. And Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara is a guy that we kind of fell in love with in the later parts of the draft prospect. A really, really good creator in the half court. He has three-level scoring potential over a seven-foot wingspan and a very, very cerebral basketball IQ. He makes great decisions out of the pick-and-roll passing for others. And more than anything, I think what's underrated about Williams is that he can play off-ball, that everything that he does is scalable to being a high-level role player. He shot 39% from three and 40% on catch-and-shoots this year. I love drafting guys who have the upside to be a really good player with the ball in their hands, but are also very safe and secure prospects because of their ability to shoot. The Houston Rockets are going to get a bigger body in the third overall pick. They need somebody that can just come in on the wings and make an impact, not necessarily from day one, but playing next to any type of star player that they have. To me, that's Jalen Williams, while having a ton of upside to be a little bit more than just a catch-and-shoot prospect. Bulls fans, hear me out on this one. Ty Ty Washington is a combination of two things that you always look for on draft night. One, best player available. This isn't necessarily about coming in and filling a hole that the Chicago Bulls have, but taking a guy who is, in my opinion, clearly the best guy still on board. The second thing to know is that they're, your team's probably shopping this pick. So this is an opportunity where when a guy slips who has lottery upside like Ty Ty Washington, it's the right time to sell that pick because you know there are going to be a lot of interested teams. I think Ty Ty Washington as a prospect is fantastic. A little bit miscast in his role at Kentucky is much better with the ball in his hands as a pure passer and creator, but he's an elite mid-range jump shooter, can play off ball and catch and shoot from three, and is a little bit underrated of a defender because he competes and he has length. One of the things that I love most about Washington is how he fits into literally every type of offensive scheme and team that you can imagine. Play him at the one or the two, he's going to create for others, he's going to knock down shots and play next to any type of star player that you want. I think that that's a reason this phone is going to ring off the hook for the Chicago Bulls if Ty Ty Washington is still available with the 18th pick. Really, the highest we can see Dalen Terry going is to the Minnesota Timberwolves at 19, but let's be very clear. This is a team that has all of the offensive talent in the world. They may be shopping their point guard D'Angelo Russell this year, but what about adding somebody who can replace a lot of that passing production in the half court while adding more size and that Swiss Army knife type of role player to the equation? Dalen Terry is a playmaking, defending wing with a 7-foot wingspan who's great cross-matching against point guards on the defensive end. Minnesota has enough scoring ability. They need these role players who are winning type of players come in and do a lot of the dirty work, provide energy off the bench, and more than anything, defensive IQ. That's something this team lacks and is something that Terry has a great deal of. Combine that with the fact that he improved greatly towards the end of the season as a catch-and-shoot prospect, and there are very few worries about Terry eventually becoming that glue guy that is really noticeable on championship teams. We talked about it earlier, but one thing the San Antonio Spurs are missing is an elite self-creator in the half court. Jaden Hardy is a guy that we believe is a top six or seven talent in this year's draft class, 
and fits the mold of that self-creation upside. He might be the best three-point shooter in this draft class. He's just such a smooth operator in the mid-range, creates a ton of space for himself, and as the year went on with the G League Ignite, shouldered a huge burden and got so much better and polished out of the pick and roll. What's underrated about Hardy as he's continued to slide down draft boards this year is that he was asked to be a high volume creator in a professional league at 18 years old. What a leap that he made in order to be able to do that. And I think that just the fact he was asked to do that speaks volumes about his offensive upside. We're overthinking a ton with a guy like this. If he's still available at 20, I'd love to see the San Antonio Spurs make an investment on teaching him how to play the game of basketball and maximize his lack of athletic gifts. At 21, the Denver Nuggets have their first of two first round selections and Tari Eason strikes me as a guy who as a slasher and a cutter would make a killing playing next to MVP Nikola Jokic. I really have struggled with the Eason evaluation because on one hand he's incredibly talented on the offensive end of the floor and just make things happen on defense. His athletic profile, burst, and quickness that he plays with should allow him to guard almost every position out there. We also know that the Denver Nuggets have loved to swing for the fences on draft prospects over the last few years. Eason is going to require a lot of work to be a playmaker with the ball in his hands and consistency as a shot maker. But I think this is a solid long-term gamble for the Denver Nuggets, especially knowing they have two first-round selections. The Memphis Grizzlies are on the clock next, and they have a lot of guys on their roster who fit this mold of bigger wing forward defenders who can play the 3-4 and 5 defensively. I think EJ Liddell fits that mold with what they're looking for and is an incredibly high IQ defender that, let's face it, a lot of draft Twitter has fallen in love with as a result. Great shot blocker for somebody who plays his position in size, decent length and athleticism, but more than anything, an instinctual basketball player who seems to make winning plays. Our worries about Liddell have been a little bit more on the offensive end than on the defensive. His shot improved a lot this year at Ohio State in terms of the percentages that it went in. And at the end of the day, that's really what matters. But there's something not incredibly smooth about his form. He was used a ton out of the post as well. I think that the modernity of his game needs to be able to translate to the NBA, where he's setting screens, picking and popping, playing out of the short roll, and just attacking closeouts on the perimeter. Understand the appeal of a guy like Liddell and think that the, the scheme in Memphis would bring a lot of great things out in him. But at the end of the day, any team that drafts EJ Liddell in the first round has to feel really comfortable about the translation of his offensive arsenal, particularly from beyond the three-point line. The Philadelphia 76ers need wings and guys that can come in and play on both ends of the floor. I think Marjan Bochamp fits that well and would be a great fit with the 76ers at the 23rd pick. Bochamp was once a really highly touted offensive prospect. You can see the length, the size, the athleticism and power that he brings to the table, but at one point in time it was really all about him being an elite scorer. The G League Ignite this year, he embraced his role as more of a 3 and D type of guy, thriving, cutting without the basketball, playing more in an off-ball role. And while he didn't shoot the ball fantastic, 
he did enough there to give us some confidence that he can be at least solid on that end of the floor. A 3 and D type of guy with a lot more offensive upside than a lot of us remember. I think that Bochamp would be a really good fit long term in Philadelphia. Every year we kind of develop one guy who becomes our guy and Christian Brown out of Kansas has been the late candidate to rise into that role in 2022. Incredibly competitive. He's coming off of a national championship run where he did a little bit of everything for the Kansas Jayhawks. Great in transition, their best perimeter defender on ball, and a really, really good three-point shooter. He fits in well in every type of way that the Milwaukee Bucks look for. Space the floor on the offensive end, come in and guard competitively in the backcourt, and be a good enough athlete to thrive in transition next to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Brown's separator skill, what really separates him from every other type of prospect in this range, is his competitiveness. Yes, he knocks down shots at a 40% clip from three. Yes, he's a very good defender. Yes, he can make some solid plays off the bounce, but he is borderline an asshole on the floor, and we absolutely love it. I think that he fits in really well with a team with championship aspirations like Milwaukee and would be a great fit for them at 24. to the Spurs at 25, there's just no way that they keep three first round selections on their roster. I think they go the draft and stash route. Now, Nikola Jovic out of Mega has been one guy rumored to be a top international prospect on the board, but we hear two things. One, that Jovic wants to come over to the NBA right away, and two, that his defensive shortcomings are going to be a real challenge for the San Antonio Spurs to overlook. So this is where we go to Gabriel Prochita from Fortitudo Bologna, a really good 3 and D athlete, somebody who thrives in the open floor and has a great deal of upside on both ends. He's still figuring out how to play. He's very raw and played in a, a younger, uh, less talented league there in Italy. But the upside is very clear. Six foot seven, great athleticism, shoots the ball very well as a 40% guy from three and thrives in the open floor. I think the San Antonio Spurs need switchable defenders, guys who can space the floor off ball and come in and at the very least match their timeline with what they need with this pick. We heard great things about Prochita coming out of the NBA Draft Combine and would expect him to turn that into, if not a pick in the later parts of the first round, at least going very early on in the second. Houston Rockets just acquired this pick from the Dallas Mavericks in the Christian Wood trade, and while we have a tough time envisioning them keeping three rookies on their roster, Max Christie out of Michigan State is one guy whose fit we've loved in Houston for a very long period of time. Long enough and good enough to be able to play both the two and the three, I think Christie fits really well in the half court next to a guy like Jalen Green and next to a creating big like Alperin Shangun. Christie didn't shoot the ball incredibly well, but his form is consistent and solid, and it was what he was highly touted as coming out of high school. He is very good on the move, both off of handoffs, wide pin down screens. He opens up your team's playbook 
without sacrificing anything on the defensive end. What we've been most impressed by as we've gotten to dive a little bit deeper into the film on Christie is how good of an on-ball defender he is. We think that he's going to be a steal in the later parts of the first round and think that he fits perfectly with the Houston Rockets. Hard work, athleticism, positional ambiguity. Josh Minot fits in really well with the MO of this Miami Heat franchise, and as the days get closer to the draft, I continue to feel like he's going to be a guy that ends up going in the first round as opposed to the second. Yes, he's a little bit of a project, but a lot of people believe in his motor, how hard he plays, and the defensive ceiling that he's going to be able to bring to the table. He can be that switchable one through five defender eventually, where if the Miami Heat can trot out two guys like him and Bam Adebayo together, they are really going to suffocate a lot of opposing offenses. Now with Minot, he's very, very raw on the offensive end. You know the athleticism is going to be able to translate to the open floor, and he can be solid as a cutter. But at the very least right now, he needs to completely overhaul his jump shot and find ways to harness what appears to be a decent amount of playmaking feel in the half court. He's going to be a long-term project, but if the Miami Heat or any other organization are willing to put in the time, he can really pay off. Here's a bit of a surprise, Warriors fans. Musa Diabate out of Michigan actually really liked what we saw from him on our rewatch and think that he fits in very well in an NBA type of defensive scheme. Really good laterally. He can play both the four and the five on the defensive side of the floor. Moves his feet, contests shots, has a solid understanding of rim protection from the weak side. He's not an elite athlete vertically and shouldn't be a major rim protector or lob threat. But at the very least, he knows how to finish, is very, very fluid and coordinated, and has a little bit of rebound and run potential. He is a project, but I think that you can play a guy like Diabate next to James Wiseman in the long term, and because of that, I wouldn't shy away from taking Diabate here in the later part of the first round. The Warriors have been a little bit more patient over the last few years and prioritize going with a high upside guy. Diabate is raw on the offensive end, and does need work on defense, but at the very least, I understand the upside and think he could sneak into the first round. There's something about Jake LaRavia that just strikes me as a very Memphis Grizzlies type of basketball player. A really smooth spot-up threat. He has an efficient stroke from three that is incredible with time. He was a late riser in this draft prospect and is a lot younger than initially thought. So, coming out of Wake Forest, he still has a decent amount of upside to explore. Adding floor spacing around John Morant is incredibly important. I don't think that the Grizzlies can ever have too much three-point shooting. Now with LaRavia, finding ways to plug him in on the defensive end is going to be really important. He's not a great athlete, but is a skilled basketball player who uses pivots when he gets into the lane, is a really good playmaker when you don't have to run offense through him, and just makes the right read every single time. Those are things that strike us as Grizzlies type of prospects, and one of the reasons we can see LaRavia going to them if he's still on the board at 29.
Our last pick here is Kennedy Chandler, a definite first-round talent out of Tennessee, but undersized point guards are really not uh, not safe bets in today's NBA game. Chandler challenges the small point guard role by being a really long-armed defender and a very good athlete. He makes an impact at the point of attack and isn't necessarily as big of a mismatch on the defensive end as you might think. Now, he was inconsistent out of the pick and roll this year, doesn't have great range to three off the bounce, but you can play him off ball as a catch-and-shoot prospect when you're running the offense through a guy like Jokic, and at the very least can come in and be somebody that helps fill the role that the Nuggets need at the backup point guard spot long term if they lose Monte Morris this offseason.